0: please turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3, Jonah chapter 3, please turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Last time we were together, we considered Jonah's prayer from the depths, his prayer from the belly of the fish, and today we're going to consider Jonah's preaching ministry, preaching ministry to the people of Nineveh. Jonah chapter 3, well please pay careful attention for this is God's holy and inspired word that's been given to us this morning. And he called out, "'Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown.'" And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes." And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well a couple of weeks ago I shared with you an illustration from a 19th century minister which which talked about how you know in every in every village in England there is a road or a path or a highway from that village to London. In a similar way wherever you are in the Old Testament there is a path there is a road, a highway or a byway that will lead you to Christ. Now, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus tells us that the story of Jonah is not about Jonah. The story of Jonah is not about a great fish or whale. The story of Jonah is about Jesus. And something greater than Jonah is here, Jesus says. To put it another way, Jesus is telling us that when we're reading the book of Jonah, we should be searching high and low for paths, roads, highways, and byways that lead from him to Christ. And this is how we have attempted to read the book of Jonah. We have considered the path of obedience. Jesus is the more obedient prophet of God. We have considered the path of authoritative speech. Jesus speaks a more authoritative word in that his word has power over the wind and the waves. We have considered the path of sacrifice and deliverance. Jesus accomplished the greater sacrifice and he experienced the greater deliverance. Now today we will be considering the path or the road of preaching and repentance. Now in that same passage in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says that... The men of Nineveh, who repented at Jonah's preaching, will rise up at the judgment and condemn the Jews of Jesus' own day. Jesus is saying here that Jonah's preaching of repentance points to his own preaching of repentance. However, Jesus didn't merely proclaim a message. He perfectly embodied the message that he proclaimed. Jesus was the only individual who who could say that, who not only proclaimed a message, but perfectly embodied the message that he proclaimed. And so this chapter before us, Jonah chapter 3, is really all about repentance. This chapter is all about repentance. We see Jonah's repentance, and we see the city of Nineveh's repentance. Repentance. Now, when we think about this idea of repentance, repentance is something that's, that's a common idea for us as Christians. But there are times in which we tend to think of repentance as really only being applicable for us at the beginning of our Christian lives. We need to repent and believe the gospel and be converted. However, Scripture speaks of repentance as an ongoing habit to be cultivated within the Christian life. Scripture speaks of repentance as an ongoing habit to be cultivated within the Christian life. For instance, the Heidelberg Catechism. Our catechism places the topic of repentance in the gratitude section. Not the guilt section, not the grace section, but the gratitude section. Meaning one of the ways in which we are called to respond to the good news of the gospel It's through repentance. Repentance is a habit within the Christian life. In fact, Martin Luther, the very first thesis in his 95 Theses, states that when our Lord Jesus said, repent, he intended that our entire lives be one of repentance. And so through this chapter, God is wanting to challenge our understanding of, of repentance. In this chapter, God is wanting to challenge our practice of repentance. In this chapter, God is calling us, calling us to a life of repentance. In this chapter, God is calling us, each of us, to a life of repentance. Now, as we consider this theme of repentance, I'd like us to consider two questions in particular. Well, first consider what is repentance, and then we will consider the mean, or what means God uses to bring about repentance in our lives. So what is repentance, and what means does God use to bring about repentance in our lives? So first of all, what is repentance? What is repentance? Well, notice how this chapter begins. This chapter begins with the author stating that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, calling him yet again to go to Nineveh and proclaim the message of God. Now, boys and girls, what did did Jonah do the first time the word of the Lord came to him? What did Jonah do the first time God's call came upon his life? He fled from the presence of God. Instead of going east to Nineveh, he heads west. far west as he really could imagine, across the Mediterranean to Tarshish, which may have been in the southwest part of Spain. Now, when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, how does he respond? Well, he obeys. Look with me at verse three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah finally obeys, obeys God's call and commission upon him. Now, Jonah here is presented as a living illustration of repentance. Jonah is presented here as a living illustration of repentance. What is repentance? Well, literally, repentance is a changing of one's mind. Repentance is changing one's direction in life. And what is Jonah doing here? Well, he literally changes the direction of his journey. Instead of seeking to go west to Tarshish, he now heads due east to Nineveh. This is repentance, changing one's direction in life. Jonah is given to us here as an example of repentance. Well, just as Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh, similarly, all of us, all of us are called by God in his law to a life of obedience. And when we disobey God's revealed will in his word, we are acting just as foolishly and irrationally as Jonah was in chapter one. For instance, one way you could summarize commandments one through four of the 10 commandments is be a part of a church. Uh, Commandment one is all about the who of worship. The second commandment is the how of worship. The third commandment is the language of worship. The fourth commandment is the day of worship. And so how do you summarize these first four words of the Ten Commandments? Be a part of a church. And so each of us are called by God to be a part of a church. And we can either flee this calling, head to Tarshish, or we can obey this calling, We can either flee this calling and sleep in on Sunday morning or just float from church to church. Or we can respond, respond with obedience to God's calling upon our lives. Indeed, you can go through each one of God's commandments in this way. In each of God's commandments, God has a call for us, a commission for us. And we can either disobey, we can head west, or we can obey, uh, we can head east. And so we would do well to consider this morning where in our lives we need a change of direction, where we have been headed to Tarshish when we really should be going to Nineveh, where in our life we, we need to repent You'll notice that every week, every Lord's Day, we spend a portion of our service hearing God's law and confessing or repenting of our sins. We do this not because we believe that we are to confess or repent of our sins only once a week. Rather, we do this because repentance is meant to be an ongoing habit to be cultivated within the Christian life. And so what is repentance? Repentance is a change of direction. A change of direction from disobedience to obedience. And we see Jonah here as a living, a living illustration of what repentance is. Now what do the Ninevites, if you skip down in chapter 3, what do the Ninevites do after Jonah arrives in Nineveh and he proclaims the message that God has given to him? What do the Ninevites do upon hearing this message from the prophet of Yahweh? Well, the king of Nineveh calls for a fast and they put on sackcloth and we we learn that they believe in God. Or to put it another way, the Ninevites Ninevites repent. They repent upon the preaching of Jonah. Now, what is the meaning of fasting? What What is the meaning of putting on sackcloth in this context? Well, these practices are an expression of one's sorrow and hatred of one's sin. These practices are an expression of one's sorrow and hatred of one's sin. And these these practices are also a way in which one humbles themselves before God. They're an outward expression of an inward heart disposition. And so what does it mean? What does it mean to humble oneself before God? Well, humility really is being able to truly and honestly consider oneself in light of objective reality. Humility is being able to truly and honestly consider oneself in light of objective reality. And what is pride? Well, the apostle tells us in Romans chapter 12 that it's the very opposite. Pride is thinking of oneself more highly than one ought Pride is thinking of oneself in a way that does not accord with objective reality. Pride is delusional thinking. Now David in Psalm 51, which is the psalm that we'll be singing after the conclusion of this sermon, David is able to take an honest assessment of himself before God's bar of justice. In Psalm 51, David says, In sin my mother conceived me. David is able to fully recognize the pervasiveness of his sin problem. His sin problem began in the womb. David is able to say against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David knows that he sinned against Uriah by murdering him David knows that he sinned against Bathsheba by committing adultery with her. But yet he is able to say, nonetheless, against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David realizes that every sin is ultimately a sin and an affront against God's holy and divine majesty. David is able to say, I know my sin and my transgressions are ever before me. David David is getting a glimpse of himself in accordance with objective reality. This is humility. So again, we would do well to consider, to ask ourselves whether or not we have a hatred of our sin. Whether or not we truly lament and sorrow over our sin. Not not the ways in which we break man-made rules or traditions, but the, the ways in which we clearly transgress God's revealed law, the Ten Commandments. Are we able to, to actually humble ourselves before God and confess our sins? Confess the ways in which we have fallen short. Confess the ways in which we have transgressed his will for our lives. And so what is repentance? Repentance is the changing of direction from disobedience to obedience. What is repentance? Repentance. Repentance is that which fasting and the putting on of sackcloth symbolizes, namely sorrow and hatred for sin and, and being able to humble oneself before the presence of God. You'll notice that this is exactly how our catechism defines repentance. Our catechism says that repentance is, to, is defined as, as to be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate it and run from it. This is exactly how God defines repentance for us in Jonah chapter 3. Now, how is this repentance that we witness in, in Jonah chapter 3? How is this repentance brought about? What means does God use to lead both Jonah and the people of Nineveh to a place of repentance? I mean, at the beginning of this book, Jonah was fleeing the presence of God. Jonah was going uh, against God's will and commission for him and his life. The city of Nineveh probably could have made a, a, the top ten list for the most wicked cities of the ancient world. How How, how is this great spiritual revival that we witness at the end of this chapter brought about? What means does God use to bring us to repentance? What means does God use to bring us to repentance? That's the second question that I'd like us to dwell upon. What means does God use to bring us to repentance? Well, first, what means did God use to bring Jonah, the prophet Jonah, to a place of repentance? Well, notice that it took God hurling a storm Upon the sea. It took God raising up these sailors to throw him over the side of the ship into these raging and chaotic waters. It took God appointing a great fish to swallow Jonah. It took God speaking to the same fish to vomit Jonah out onto dry land. All of these things God used to bring about repentance in Jonah's life. God used all of these things to bring about repentance in Jonah's life. How then does the Lord bring repentance in our own lives? Of course he can and does use his word and use his law. And we will be dwelling upon this in in a few moments. But the Lord also oftentimes uses trials and tribulations to humble us and bring us to a place of repentance. The Lord oftentimes uses trials and tribulations to humble us and bring us to a place of repentance. Do not the trials of this life have a way of breaking us, cutting us at the knees? Do not the trials of this life have a way of completely shattering our pride and self-sufficiency? Do not the trials of this life have a way of loosening our grip upon this world? Do not the trials of this life function as a a slap in the face, reminding us that we are merely a pilgrim people travailing a land that is not our home? Do not the trials of this life have a way of causing us to truly think and consider why we're even here, why God placed us on this earth, what really matters in, in this short temporal life? And so we can respond. We can respond to the trials, the tribulations in our lives in really one of two ways. We can either be humbled and, and cultivate repentance as a habit within our lives, or we can grow hardened and embittered. And you know, we can either be humbled and cultivate repentance. Uh, through the means of these trials, or we can grow hardened and embittered by these trials. So let me ask you, you, how do you respond to the trials and tribulations in this life? When God hurls the storm into your life, when God uh, permits you to be tossed overboard into the raging and chaotic waters of this life, are you humbled or hardened? There's one important qualification I'd like to make here at this point. God does not permit these difficult things or even the difficult seasons of life. um, He does not permit these these things to enter our life uh, as a tit-for-tat retribution because of particular sins that we have committed. Rather, God permits these circumstances and seasons into our life because we are sinners. See the distinction here? Apart from the natural consequences of sin, our trials are not connected to particular sins that we commit, but rather they're connected to our sinful nature that needs to be sanctified. The trials and tribulations of this life are not ordinarily connected to the particular sins that we commit, but rather they're connected to the sinful nature that needs to be sanctified. And so when these these storms roll into our life, Uh, we first respond by lamenting, lamenting that this is not how things should be. We live in a fallen world. It should create within us a longing for that new creation. But second of all, we trust. We trust God's sovereign plan, a sovereign plan that will always remain mysterious to us in this life. But we trust that sovereign plan that God is using these circumstances to humble us. To cultivate repentance within us and to cultivate a heart of dependence upon Him. And so, how, how does the Lord bring us to a place of repentance? What well, times He uses? He uses the trials and the tribulations of this life to accomplish this purpose. Well, how does God bring Nineveh to a place of repentance? Well, God brings Nineveh to a place of repentance. Through the words of prophet Jonah. Again, God commissions Jonah to go to Nineveh a second time. And it's through his preaching that Nineveh is brought to a place of repentance. Now, what kind of preaching? What kind of preaching does God use to bring us to a place of repentance? Well, notice in verse 2 that God tells Jonah to preach the message that he gives to him. Jonah is not to write his own sermon here. Jonah is to proclaim the sermon that God has given him. It's a very short sermon. It's five words in the original Hebrew. But this is the message that Jonah is to proclaim to the people of Nineveh. And so when Jonah came to the city, he preaches, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now what caused the people of Nineveh to hear and respond to this rough-looking, traveling prophet who most likely was preaching from a street corner? Would you have listened to Jonah? What caused the people of Nineveh to hear and respond to this rough-looking prophet who was preaching from a street corner? Well, the people of Nineveh weren't ultimately hearing Jonah. They were hearing God speak through Jonah. That's why they responded with faith and repentance. This teaches us, yet again, a very important point, that the church, and even more particularly pastors and ministers within the church, only have the authority and commission to proclaim God's message, to proclaim God's word. You know, in the pulpit, I, as a minister, am not called to uh, tell stories or talk about myself or opine about the social ills of our day and the politics surrounding them. Rather, my commission, my call, my authority is is restricted to announcing God's message just as Jonah's commission was restricted to announcing God's message given to him. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so what type of preaching brings about repentance? God's preaching. Preaching that centers upon his word and his message. Well, what, what message? What message did God give to Jonah? Well, I already mentioned, it, it's recorded for us very tersely in verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, interestingly, this word overthrown is used throughout the Old Testament in two primary ways. Sometimes it's used to refer to God's judgment. Sometimes it refers to, to literally God taking a city and turning it upside down in accordance with his judgment and wrath. But other times, it refers to God changing hearts. It refers to God bringing people to a place of repentance. And so there are some commentators who believe that the author, and and by extension, God himself, is using this word as a double entendre, meaning he has two meanings in mind when he uses this word overthrown. According to this reading, then God is saying that in 40 days, God is either going to destroy the city or spiritually transform the city. According to this reading, Jonah's sermon, God's sermon, is a sermon of law and gospel, judgment and grace. And so what type of preaching brings repentance? Well, simple law gospel preaching. Preaching that in no uncertain terms announces that because of our sin, we all stand under God's condemnation and wrath. But preaching that also emphasizes that if you turn to Christ by faith, His wrath will be absorbed in the sacrifice of his son. Preaching that announces that if you come to Christ by faith, you will be delivered. Preaching that announces that if you come to Christ by faith, you will be spiritually transformed and molded into the image of Jesus. Preaching that announces the law and the gospel. This is what brings about repentance in our lives. Now, I'd like us to, to, to think for a moment about, about our, our relationship to, to God's word. Do we have confidence in God's word? Do we have confidence that God's word can, can bring about this change in our lives? Do we have confidence that God's word can, can bring about change in the lives of our loved ones? city of Nineveh was one of the most wicked cities in the ancient world, but yet God, through his word, was able to bring about this great revival. Do we have confidence that God's word can do the same in our own community, in our own lives, in the lives of those around us? You know, I love what Martin Luther said. Someone asked him during the time of the Protestant Reformation, Brother Martin, how were you able to bring about so, so many great reforms within, within Christ's church? And he says, I didn't do anything. All I did was sit in the pub with my friends drinking beer. And God's word did it all. And Luther is merely echoing the book of Acts. Because one thing that Luke does in the book of Acts is Luke charts the growth of the church through a very, very important phrase. Over and over again, he says that the word of God multiplied and the word of God grew. Who gives the growth? God gives the growth through his word. And so, beloved, do you have this kind of confidence? in God's word.